Father God, we come before you, Son of Grace. And Father, we thank you for this day, your feasts. Father, we thank you for all of your holy convocations, all of your Sabbaths. We thank you for the fellowship that you've given us. We thank you for the increase that you've given us. Another day, another year, another week to spread the gospel and the good news of your son, Yeshua. Father, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us, for the safety you've given us, all the revelations you've given us. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your law. And we thank you for all the truths that you've revealed to us. Father, we thank you for sending your son, Yeshua, to die on that stake to save us from our sins, to remove our yoke of bondage to sin, that we may walk in righteousness. We have faith, hope, and trust in this, as well as all the things that you do for us, Father. We ask you please continue to bless our group. Please help us to grow together in truth, in unity, and in love. And please help everybody with their needs, Father. And please continue to bless the remainder of this day, and this evening, and tomorrow, Father. And please stay with us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And guide us always on that path of righteousness. Please enlarge the borders of our hearts and write the commands on them that we may walk in them daily. Father, we love you and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Shalom to everybody who just came in. Welcome, Seth. All right, we're in Exodus 19. We're going to read to Exodus 20, verse 23. Actually, yeah. We'll just read the entirety of 20. But <clears throat> so it says, And the third month, on the same day of the month that the Israelites had left the land of Egypt, they entered the wilderness of Sinai. After they departed from Rephidim, they entered the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, This is what you must say to the house of Jacob, and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set them or set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Then Moses reported to the words, or to, reported the people to the peoples the words of the Lord. And the Lord told Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, Be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain will be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows. No animal or man will live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up the mountain. Then Moses came down from the mountain to the people and consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. He said to the people, Be prepared by the third day. Do not have sexual relations with women. On the third day, when morning came, 
There was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke, because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord, otherwise many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must purify themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. But Moses responded to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us. Put a boundary around the mountain and consider it holy. And the Lord replied to him, Go down and come back with Aaron. But the priests and the people must not break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out in anger against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. It's the end of 19. Anybody got any comments on that one? That's where, <laughs> that's where some of the Jewish people likes to go to to point you out for their fence laws, where they're able to set boundaries and stuff like that. Or oh, because he said put a boundary around the mountain. Yeah, I had like <laughs> two of them use that against me. Yeah, they fail to realize the Torah is a fence law in itself. <laughs> it was because they was too dirty. And it was a mediator. You know, he was showing them how holy he was. He was showing them a lot of things during that mountain. But They'll, they'll tell you that the mountain lifted up. And then the Muslims likes to use that where, where, where God threatened them if they didn't obey, then he would uh, bring the mountain down on them. I am heard all kind of stuff come out on that same verse, that same, what you just read. And I'm like, my God, people can take the word and twist it for anything they want. Yep, Old and New Testament. I cringe when people say, well, that's your interpretation. Like, what other book do people look read and go, that's not how I read it? Wait. <laughs> I want to know who was shooting the arrows. Uh, I don't think anybody had to. Nobody broke through, did they? I just want to know who would be shooting the arrows. Uh, the angels. That's where uh, that's where the tale of Legolas got started. <laughs> what? Are you talking about from Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I was. Well, <laughs> you're <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what's that in the Bible? 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Start the quest music. <laughs> oh no, that's Pirates of the Caribbean. Sorry, wrong Orlando. Oh, okay. We're in the wrong place, Danny. Wrong place. <laughs> Sorry, I get my Orlando Blue uh, <laughs> characters mixed up. But why you the wrong music? <laughs> oh yes. Johnny Depp needs Jesus too. <laughs> uh, I was like, is it so like, is it like, and by right in the like, some holy arrows at people, or what? Like, what's going on here? Or was the people down the mountain gonna shoot the arrows? Or was God just gonna summon some arrows and be like, yep, you're gonna get got now? Got got. Yeah. I'm sure people is actually shooting. People were like, I see fire <laughs> inside that mouth. <laughs> now, but on real, all realness, when you abstain for three days from things like that and like, you know, abstain from food, you start to feel closer to God. I, I personally feel like so say what? Christ, that's what that's what that's what Paul was talking about in the uh, New Testament where it says that you know any married couple do not let them abstain uh, from each other except for um, for a time or prayer or fasting things like that. Um, I think the times he's speaking about would be like that. So, like in the beginning of Passover, or um, probably for at least the um, Holy Convocation days, you know, maybe not all of them, but I can see a lot of them. They have done it probably for sure. Drive woke, like I said, Passover. Well, I see it anyways. You're ready to read the uh, the eleven commandments. Exodus right. <laughs> twenty. It says, "Then God spoke all these words." I am the Lord of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me or against my face. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, 
your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses responded to the people, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses. Then the Lord told Moses, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You must not make gods of silver to rival me. You must not make gods of gold for yourselves. You must make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats, as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. If you make a stone altar for me, you must not build it out of cut stones. If you use your chisel on it, you will defile it. You must not go up to my altar on steps so that your nakedness is not exposed on it. The eleven, I would even say the twelve commandments. Well, um, that's when he started telling Moses. But anyways, he does say, "Make an earthen altar." That's what he said. Uh, I want to point out a couple things. Number one. I like the way the HCSB puts it. It says, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. KJV says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Yep. It's, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Don't put on a false representation and call yourself a follower of God. Right. Don't bring his name to nothingness, as the TS 2009 puts it, or not nothingness, same thing. Uh, it's funny, the only command... In the Ten Commandments, or what they call you know Ten Commandments, better translated as the the Ten Words or the Ten Phrases, um, the only one that says "remember," we're told to forget. I think that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's interesting that God told Moses that He's going to come down so that the people will believe Him, right? And Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. Later on, you know, to me, it's kind of like a foreshadow because they do end up questioning Moses. Ain't it to eat the open that says that it's not 10 commandments, but 11 I don't know. What do they say the 11th is? The very first one. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. 
Oh, well, see, that's that's why I say that it's better translated as the 10 sayings or 10 phrases. That calls them oracles. The oracles yep. of God. The oracles is just like the word of God. Yeah. 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 That's what, like, whenever they try to take you um to Romans where it talks about the oracles, I always take them back to here, to Exodus, because I'm like, it is the, the oracles are the word of God. Not mm-hmm. the whole. Anyways. Did you know about Romans? I love wrote... when Robot Jimmy joins. Okay, how's that awesome. <laughs> Did you know Paul did not write Romans? Who wrote Romans? Oh, I'll tell you. It says right here. I didn't know this till last week. I meant to share it with everybody. Romans 16, um, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. <laughs> everybody thinks Paul wrote Romans. <laughs> Look at look at Romans sixteen twenty two. Oh, Tertius was, was, was Tertius Tertius yeah yeah was he one of Paul's scribes? I was gonna say Paul had many scribes. Yeah, yeah. well, he actually wrote it. I wonder oh. if he sat upon the Paul. Yeah, I'm sure he did if he had the right for Paul. And you know, Paul the only one that Galatians was written was Galatians by Paul. <laughs> probably. He's a little Yeah, it doesn't say that in Romans one. No. No. That's interesting. I did not know that. It just says Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Yeah. Well, what, what um Philemon? One of Paul's scribes, too. I think so. You said it was Romans 16, what, Dad? 1622, I said. Yeah, it's 1622. Tertius. Tertius. I, 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 Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Aristus, I don't know, Aristus, Aristus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cordus, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation. Yeah, he goes through. Now, now what? Now to him wish you according to my gospel. Wait a second. Who wrote it? Tertius? I, Tertius, yeah. who wrote this epistle. So he, he's saying he wrote it. Yeah. Um, we know Paul went to Rome. So, I think that he probably wrote it for him. That's the way that I've taken it, because a lot of Paul's letters in that way. You think that's the one? Does it? Does it? Say something about um that he spoke 
tore him through the um God knows the things in the ceiling. I had to find I had to find out. I mean, it would make sense that Paul had people helping him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you go through Galatians, he tells you why that would be a case. Because he had difficulty seeing. He had mm-hmm. some sort of he had some sort of eye issue. And it wasn't just, you know, because he was blinded on the road to Damascus, because that was healed, obviously. He uh he was beaten half to death multiple times, stoned half to death multiple times. Like he he literally what was that passage I shared the other day? Um where he was like, you know, I bear the scars. I bear the the wounds for my belief in Messiah. That's that's what ticks me off when people get on my posts and stuff and start trying to deny Paul. I'm like, you haven't even been through half of what Paul went through. Not even a, a quarter, a fraction, a little sliver of what Paul went through for the Messiah. And you dare get on a public platform and try to deny Paul. Yeah, that wears on me too. That's one way to get it under my skin real quick. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I'll be honest, I, I, it takes me a second to keep myself in line before I say something out of place because that's, that's unacceptable to me. And I, I kindly responded to an individual a second ago and was just like, look, you're, this is not the place. You're not gonna get on my posts and deny Paul, and you're not going to bear false witness against him, especially because he's not even alive to defend himself. But I will. See, that's what bothers me. Like, people will say, okay, okay, let's say Paul did dictate that, right? And let's say this this guy, Tertius, Tertius went on to write something else. We don't know. But when it comes to Baruch, um, Jeremiah's scribe, and then Jeremiah, the scribe, goes on to write something else. It's not scripture, you know. But that's what I was gonna say. I think Paul probably it was probably Paul's words, but the guy was his his scribe. Yeah, that's that's why he ends in Galatians the way that he did. Which you could, I mean, you could take it multiple ways. Whether he's saying that those few words at the end of the letter were the only thing he wrote, or he's saying that the whole thing that he wrote. Either or way, could, it doesn't matter. Or this could have been yeah. one of Paul's pupils. Yeah. He wrote, just like Jeremiah, uh, Baruch was one of Jeremiah's pupils, and he went on to write something else that wasn't dictated by Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Like To throw away all, all these, you know, without research, research and stuff, like, I've researched the Talmud. I'm not taking from there. You know, but to throw away some of these letters and stuff that were circulating, where they were circulated by the people who weren't following Judaism or, you know, they weren't under Roman authority. They, they were doing their own thing. Like, they were following the way of, of Jesus Christ. Um. I would call to be good students. Yeah. So we're supposed to study to show yeah. ourselves.
brew because we got there's a lot that goes into it. Sir, uh, so what was that about? Shav, well, thanks for interrupting. Sorry, I'm just kidding. We're in hey, sorry, I, 14 I just got the uh, opportunity. My one of my granddaughters struggling, so there's a wheat field right across the street from her. So when I went to go talk to her, I looked across the street, looked at the wheat field, looked at the tares, and the wheat's ready to be harvested because it's bowing. So I went over there and picked tear and wheat, and I went over and showed her, and I read to her in scripture about the parable of the tares and the wheat, and showed her, and I think it really had an impact on her. You know, reading it in scripture and then showing her what this parable, what's meant by this parable. And I said, the wheat, see how it's slumped over? I said, the wheat's ready to be harvested. You know, and it's and it's bound in obedience. So the tear's sticking straight up. I said, they look a lot alike, don't they? And she's like, yeah. So they look alike, but one's different. Yeah. And. So just pray for her. Her name's Kathleen. Just pray for her. She's struggling right now. She's 15 years old. Going through normal teenage stuff of the world. Of the world. Yeah. And I told her, I was like, well, nobody likes to help me do anything around the house. You know, if you want, you can come over there and like hold boards for me and stuff. You know, <laughs> we finished building the deck. And we can have conversations. Awesome. That's awesome. Yep. That was awesome. Looking at that field, that field of wheat and tares. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Look at that. Look at the father's jerk. My lap. <laughs> He'll do it. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're fine. You're good, then. Or, uh, I can't about stuff like that. Yep. We're going uh, Deuteronomy 14 now. Fourteen twenty-two. And 22. <clears throat> it says, Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. You are to eat a tenth of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock in the presence of Yahuwah, your Elohim, at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell, so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where Yahuwah, your God, or Elohim, mighty one, chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, then exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money on anything you want, cattle, sheep, wine, beer, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. 
Do not neglect the Levite within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance among you. At the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your gates. Then the Levite, who has no portion or inheritance among you, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow within your gates may come, eat and be satisfied, and the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Let me stop there. I think that's very important. This reminds me of Matthew 23, where the justice and the mercy was being neglected. He's saying, like, these feasts are so important <laughs> that you make sure that even the little guy, you know, the least important, or what most people would look at as the least important, you know, because they don't have a huge stature or um, importance among the people, make sure they're taken care of too. Anything that they want, like let them let them partake in it too. Let them be joyous and celebrate in this time too. It's also cool that um, that he doesn't expect you to like you can do it where you're at. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. said it's, it's too far off that you can do it in that place that you're at. Goes back to the dispersion aspect as well. Right. I think I think that you know the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. I think that that, like we had just read in Exodus 20, I think it goes back to in every place that he causes his name to be remembered. And I'm not saying that the command, because there is, there is a command, three times a year you go to New Jerusalem, or you go to Jerusalem, uh, if you can make it, you know, if it's not too far off. Um, but yeah, I think that even outside of Jerusalem if you're in dispersion that <laughs> these will still be applicable exactly and that, that that right there would defend the argument where people say well you know they'll go well aren't you supposed to go to Jerusalem you know well there's no temple you don't need a temple right here you, you don't need a temple you, you can't have a temple when you're when you're scattered, and that prophecy was she was put forth right there in Deuteronomy thirty. It was put forth before that. And see, I'm of the stance that um, you just need dirt. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Yeah. So if the, God, if the father already prophesied that you were going to be scattered, okay, and that you wouldn't be in the land, and the land was going to be taken over by people who say they were Jews, he's already said that. I was like, why well, don't you know? No, I'm not going up there. I'm not going to uh, Jerusalem. And he's already described to you what what the third temple is, which is the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem. There's your argument against that. 
That happened to me the other day. Why don't you just need to go make sacrifices at the temple? So most people say, well, we don't have a temple right now. You know? Well, of course not, because you've been scattered. Everybody has. You've been assembled into all the nations. Yeah. I think that's an important one for the church to understand. Because I think that, that right there will rip the dis dispensational doctrine to pieces. I think just reading it will will rip it to pieces. Yeah. Like we was like me and Myers was watching a oh what the heck is his name? I remember it a second ago. Um I remember it a second ago. I remember it in a second, I mean David Jeremiah. No. David Burt or David Burkott. Burkott, that's his name. Um yeah, I was reading it. I was talking about everybody likes to use the whole dispensationalism aspect of, well, we just listen to Paul now. It's like, did you not even listen to the words of Messiah? Messiah literally said that his disciples are that your disciples are not greater than the, the master. Right? That being the case, that means that anything that Paul says is going to be exactly what Messiah says. And it's not going to be anything different. How can and he if be you want to get, go, uh, sorry. I was thinking, how can he be your follow him? Yeah, exactly. But if you want to, if you want to get to the crux of what the disciple says, you go to the source. Well, what, what exactly did the the master say about it? And then we'll see what his servant said or his student said. You kind of get a, a a harmonization. It's no different than with the prophets. You have an expounding. You have Moses, the forefather. And then every prophet that's under or, you know, after Moses, they expound. They give a little bit more detail. The father reveals a little bit more to them. And they, you know, go they go and tell Israel, you know, and it yeah. could be they, they're dealing with different issues or different sins. <laughs> well, here's you know? one. Here's one that said uh, Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the father's by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir to all things by whom also he made the world so do the prophets yeah. did the prophets in, in uh, Yeshua or Jesus have a different message no they don't because it says it right there in Deuteronomy 18 it says I will raise a prophet like unto you Moses and I yeah. will put my words in his mouth, command all that he should speak. And whosoever shall not hearken unto the words that he shall speak in my name, I will, will require it of him. So they have the same message. Even Jesus has the same message as as uh, Moses, because he says, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how should you believe my words? In John 5.46 and 5.47. And that goes back to the student's not better than the greater than the master. Nope. Remember the master is God over Christ. Right. And who does who does Christ imitate? The Father. Father. Who are we supposed to who imitate? Are we supposed to imitate Christ. How can you say the law is done yeah. away with? That's the behavior yeah. of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. And part of that sanctification. I think 
I think of every time that like Messiah speaks in the New Testament, if you read it the same as what you read in the Old Testament as thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord, it clears up a lot of confusion because that's essentially what he's doing. My teaching is not my own, but his, but the one that sent me. So he's literally doing the same exact thing as every prophet before him, but the scribes in the New Testament being the disciples, Matthew, uh, James, etc., they're not writing it the same as what the scribes in the Old Testament did, right? But there's no difference. When he opens his mouth to speak, it's thus says the Lord your God. Yeah. It's literally the same thing. That's why there's no difference between page one and page 1,000-something. I don't know how many pages he goes to. Are we, are we, <laughs> we're supposed to be transformed into the image of his dear son. Because we already know that his dear son is in the image of him. Yeah. yeah. So if we're not supposed to be, you know, people had a guy talk to me this morning. He was like, well, you just keep your law. I didn't say anything about the law. I didn't say anything. He said, well, you just keep your works and whatever. I told him that works, you know, um, our works was repentance. And so you just keep your works or whatever. He goes, I put all my faith in Jesus. I'm like, okay, what's faith? What's belief in Jesus? To believe in Jesus is to have the same testimony as him, because if you don't, then you're profaning who he is. Same thing with God, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what the word belief means. It means you believe him, therefore you are to walk like him, as First John 2, 6 says. He who say he abideth in me ought to walk even as he walked. So, just goes back to Peter, where they twisted his, you know, Peter says they're going to twist Paul's writings to their own destruction. So, um, you don't have for God's law, which is his behavior, you're not getting in the kingdom. That's the fact. Romans too. <laughs> I heard someone said something about how Paul, he comes from Benjamin, right? And he's supposed to divide the spoil. Hmm. Like he's almost like a stumbling block to people. That's what um, Benjamin is. If you look up Benjamin, Benjamin's the wolf. And hmm. You'll hear it better. You could hear it a little bit better if you go into um, what's that Dustin we was doing of all the brothers, the patriots of oh the testament of patriots. Yeah, if you go into to them and listen to the one thing, you'll hear you you're understanding a little bit better. Yeah, because I think he like someone said some I heard someone that made like a good point, like he was supposed to divide the spoil, basically kind of sift the people. So basically what? Like sift. Like it's to gonna divide the people. It's gonna I don't know how to explain it. It's gonna some like Peter said, some people are gonna twist us to their own destruction. Mm-hmm. And some people are understand Paul and keep it in context with Messiah. And some people are going to, you know, 
basically put my side down and follow Paul only and think that Paul's saying something that he's not. And to it, if you look at it, he did the same things with the um with the Jews. He divided the Jews too. Mm-hmm. Divided. Mm-hmm. Look who chased him. The every, almost every city he went to come in behind him, trying to reverse what Paul done. Yep. Verses. Yep. I think uh, Matthew Jansen did. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Timmy. Good. And he does the same thing in the Christian church. His letters. Yeah. It's like uh, Matthew Jansen. I heard him do a sermon from 2012 where he was talking about how we're predestined. And so we don't, he said we're basically, there's a part in Romans that he brought up where basically it's a call for the believers. And he said, we don't have to worry about who's going to come in, who's not. He said, the true ones will come, basically the ones that are predestined. They'll yep. come. So it's not our job to worry about who's not going to come, who is. That We're just basically doing the call. Calling that, for the people. Romans 8 and 9. Is uh that's a mainstay for the reformed theology that's predestination the the elect. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. The elect, the elect will they will come in in their time. He said some might come in the last hour, some might come earlier in their life. It all depends. Right. And that's what people uh, uh they get on Calvinists pretty hard about. Well, if you know why evangelize if if everyone's predestined. Well, it's it's one of them was kind of being a smart aleck. He said, "Well, it's guaranteed success." I mean, mm. <laughs> you're gonna you you go take the word, and those that are supposed to hear it are going to hear it. Yeah, that's no come. My wow, that's pretty funny. I like that. <laughs> it's guaranteed success. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with Matthew Jansen's statement on that predestined because I mean. Because you, you, you see it every day. You can talk to someone to your blue in the face, but then you have that one you talk to, and they're like, they receive mm -hmm. it real well. Yeah. You're just going around calling out to the people, and you're just, by talking to people, eventually you'll see the ones that's gonna actually going to come. I think I there's think an aspect. Oh, go ahead, Miss Tammy. No, go ahead, Papa. I was just going to say, I think that there's an aspect of it to it. You know, the whole predestination aspect. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a Calvinist, but... I, I see it just because of some of the stuff that I've seen in like Ezra's and Baruch um, that do harmonize with the scriptures where it kind of expounds on uh, like when they talk about their, I think it was Ezra. Pretty sure it was Ezra. It was like, um, you know, when, when is all this going to be over? Like he's fed up with all the stuff that they're dealing with. And, you know, I mean, he was undergoing some, some serious stuff in this time. <laughs> It's like don't don't hasten the day because until the the appointed number of those who are going to be brought forth from their mother's womb or, or literally break out from their mother's womb until the allotted number that the father only knows um, comes to be, then the end will not be yet. So I think that there's, I definitely think there's something to that. Yeah, there's. I mean, the way I, that's what I see, we just, we just keep on talking. and It gives you a lot more ease, though, because you don't have to sit here and worry about this person. You just, you just keep preaching the word, and some people are going to receive it, some are not. Yeah. 
The only thing I be I would say that you would have to make very clear though, if you was to you know teach predestined and stuff, is to make sure you let those people know that's listening. Everybody has a choice. Because some people, I have seen it with my own eyes. I had a brother-in-law. And when he heard that pre him, I mean, he was a good fella, too. And when he was in the church, and when he fell one time, and, and real bad on the Lord, was seeing, singing to me. But, and he heard that predestined stuff, and that fella's never been right since. So yeah, I think preach. you got to be careful how you say it because yeah. I wouldn't personally go around just talking about that. Like the way Matthew Jansen put in his sermon, though, he brought in like a he tied it in with a lot of things talking about eternal security and predestined, and then also talking about how those people ultimately, though, will keep God's commandments. Yeah. They might fail or mess up, but he's like, they get, you know, they'll still get back up. Righteousness falls seven times. You know, he still talked about those things. Yeah. You know, very instinctively clear what these people look like or what they're going to be. You know, so he didn't just like come out like, yeah, predestined, and that was it. He made it very clear in his whole, this, you know, his whole sermon. It was just something he tied in there. I do. I do think there's some relevance to um, when when you think about the Father is watching and and He ordains all things and He doesn't make you do anything, but He certainly knows what you're going to do. I would say that's why I'm wanted to believe He knows who are His and who are going to come. But you know, we ultimately have, like you said, the free will to make the choices. But just understanding that our free will exists in this, uh, in a state of fallenness. So, like, we're bent towards sin to begin with. Uh, it's just my opinion. I mean, I was, I was definitely geared towards sin before until spirit got a hold of me. And I, I didn't really mind one way or the other, like I reformed Arminian, whatever. I mean, it didn't, none of that made it any big deal until I started thinking about how, what happened to me and like that I, you know, like we talked about before, I didn't really, it's not something that I was really looking for. You know, I was fine being a good old boy. And this just kind of happened outside of my control, if, you know. So I, I, you know, there's something going on. I agree because that's, like I said, I wasn't, like, actively just, like, I was trying to get closer to God, like, slowly. Like, I was just trying to let him rely on him more, but I wasn't really seeking him. I wasn't really trying. I was just trying to be a better person overall, but I wasn't, like, seeking to, like, get my Bible and like really learn, learn and all those things until that moment. Like I said, I can still remember that moment. It was a very weird moment that happened. Yep. It's good though. I'm glad it happened. Uh, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm way more at peace now. Man. 
Matter of fact, I've got more on my plate right now than I can handle. I got I had to teach the teenagers this morning and going to the jail tonight and hearing them here in a little bit. And believe it or not, I'm, I was more nervous about the teenagers this morning. Yeah. Filtering through all the, the world. Right. Is way easier with inmates. Teenagers got a lot on their plate these days, you know. Oh, my goodness. They got a lot. When you told that story a while ago about the, the wheat and the tares, that's that's it's an amazing thing. I would have said that at the time, but I was driving down the road and on mute. But uh, that's an amazing opportunity, amazing moment you had there. Yeah. On job well. Right. I'm just like, wow. I got to actually illustrate that parable to a 15-year-old girl. Yeah, and and the, the perfect malleable time. Uh-huh. She asked me if she could keep them. I'm like, yeah, you got a whole field right there across the street, too. <laughs> I said, share that with your friends. Yeah. Then I went to the parents afterwards, and I was I was like, y'all know the pair of wheat and the pears? And they're like, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Got to share it with them, too. So. Yeah, and I, I never really thought about it. The tears, the definition of a tear, I guess, is, is foreign material. Um, but but there's, like you said, there's wheat that actually is, is unhealthy and doesn't ever fill the heads out that sticks up uh, and doesn't bow like you were talking about the. You know, that looks a lot like the other. They look similar, but one of them bows at the harvest time. And then, you know, if you read the parable, it says the field, the end of the age, or the end of the age. Oh, how does it go? Hold on a second. I'm going to read this because I'm not going to butcher it. <laughs> I don't like to butcher it because I like, I like paraphrase it. Let me read this real quick. It says, Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slipped, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in the field from whence the tares came from? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou not then pull up the tares and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest they gather up the tares, they might uproot the wheat as well. Let both grow until the, until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in the bundles to be burnt. Gather the wheat in my barn. And then and in, uh, in 37, this is Matthew 13. That was Matthew 24 through 30. He said, uh, Jesus said, he answered them in 37. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. 
but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As, there, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be the wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath the earth of them here. That kind of destroys the, the rapture theory. Yes, it does. That's the first thing that caught my eye when everybody was talking about the how the rapture is not that's that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like well, I mean, there's a verse in there, you know, <laughs> where everybody always goes, you know. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit everything else. All the other indications in Scripture that, like that post Dustin had, you know, the kingdom is coming here. Yeah, heaven, heaven, earth. And it makes sense. Uh, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. He didn't like create this place for us to leave it. You know, he created this place for us to enjoy it forever. Uh, Matthew. Sorry about that. No, I'm just saying it's his creation. Right. So, and he said he's going to come down here and dwell with us. Yeah. Matthew Jansen, the other day, he had one that he, he said, uh, um, is it Elijah? Possibly. That he was, uh, he's already, if he's already in heaven, then why would he want to, why would he want to come down, back down here? Or something like, I can't remember how he worded it, but it was pretty neat the way he worded it. Why would he, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. The ones coming down from heaven with Yeshua, with Jesus, are the angels. They're coming well, to destroy the, the they're gonna come reap the land of the the tear. And then they're gonna gather up the wheat and put them in the barn, which is a symbol for the kingdom of heaven. The New Jerusalem. Ezekiel's temple, Zion, whatever you want to call it, Holy Mountain. They're gonna bring them there. But then you'll still have people on the outside who just they they weren't wicked, but they were deceived. Plus, and I, God's, and <laughs> I take a different stance when it comes to you know, new heavens and new earth. I think that it's a renewed heaven and renewed earth. If God made the earth and the earth was perfect before man sinned, okay. And he made man, and man was perfect before man sinned. And he puts his spirit within us after the resurrection, and we are made perfect, incorruptible, right? Why was he not doing the same thing with the earth? Why would he destroy the earth and create something new if it was perfect to begin with? I think his whole point is to restore it back to its perfect state because he is that powerful. I think it's him destroying the system. 
system. And and he's going to cleanse the earth and restore it to its perfect state, the way that he created it. And I think that's part of the whole the whole test thing, like you know, like with Moses, where he says, you know, you brought these people out, yeah, sure, you know, but the nations are gonna say that you were only able to bring them out, you weren't able to put them in the land like you had said. And then you have in Ezekiel where he says that not for your sake am I doing this, but for my name's sake. I'm doing this for my name's sake. I'm going to show everybody how powerful I am. And they will all know that I am the Lord from the least of them to the greatest of them. Right. Hebrews 9, 7 says that, and just as it's appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, even Christ himself had to die once. So it's silly for anyone to think that they're not dead and die because every man's appointed to die at least once, and even Christ did that. And he resurrected because he was perfect, so the grave had nothing to hold him with. He couldn't see yeah. corruption because of his perfection. But yeah. uh, the best of them, every other man, has not been perfected, so therefore they can't be resurrected in the resurrection. Well, what will make the heavens new? What will make the heavens new is you'll have resurrected people in heaven, not just angels. And then what will make this earth new is when that holy mountain comes down and destroys the the feet made of miry clay and iron, which is Rome. And from that time, it says that kingdom will, will rule forever. So there'll be no more Babylon, Middle Persia, Greece, Rome. There's only four world powers that's ever ruled this the earth. There'll be no more of that system anymore. We will have the New Jerusalem on the ground. Righteousness will, you know, the law will go forth from Zion, which is the righteousness, because that's the behavior of, of Jesus Christ. And he teaches that behavior. And then you have the people in Isaiah 2, 3 say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord in his ways. You know, but from that point on, Satan's system is done. It's it's just done. We're talking about the law a while ago, though. When you have conversations about the law and y'all can you can keep your law or whatever, you know, I don't get any of that head on like y'all do. But people kind of look at you funny here in the Bible Belt here. Yeah, uh, the. uh, But the funny part is that's what I like about Durbin is like he's very clear that that that's part of the new covenant, that the promises included in that new covenant. The, the law is a constituent element of that of that yeah. and it like it's silly and you should reject anyone that says that the law is doesn't matter I've heard him say that and like that. you know I got he's a he's a good way for me to break ground because he's he's Christian he's he's mainstream but he's rough. And it's it's kind of, that's that's kind of what I like about the the reformed theology a little bit because I it it gives me a uh, a way to because I got a bunch of liberals friends and and relatives and everything else that are that are Christian and they go to church and all that stuff but like they got some serious 
issues with what and what is and is not okay in in the kingdom, you know, and it's like it, it's there's tough conversations. So having a the reformed theology is kind of an ally for me in my travels here. But anyway, that's just my my situation. No, it's true. It's it's just it's not that they're wicked or anything. They're just being deceived. Oh, exactly. Thinking these things, and and know, there and is an, an element of that that is they uh it is selfish even to to impose your what you want the Bible to say or 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 even reject all. I had one the other day said that that, that those weren't inspired writings. Paul's writing. But that was Paul talking. That was not God. No, that's... Uh, but you that that's dangerous. I mean, that's 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 apostate. Yeah, yeah. Because he literally, I mean, had divine intervention with Christ, and talks about how he was sent out. And right. I got, who was that? You said that was Durbin. What was that guy's name? Jeff, Jeff Durbin. Durbin. Yeah. He's Jeff a big Durbin. abortion advocate for abortion. Like he, he, he cannot stand abortion. Apologia Church is is what he's pastor of. He's with James White. My wife watches him all the time, and that's my in with my wife. Where, um, uh, what's his name? Um, James White. He's a he's a Septuagint guy. Oh so yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's basically like um stands with like more law and all that stuff. He's just like probably not on the Sabbath and stuff like that. No, right. they're disp- dispensational in that sense of the uh, of the of the laws that were specifically for the Jews, but moral. Uh, and they, and they do call themselves like the reformed people, the serious ones. They do call themselves the people of the Sabbath They're, They just call Sunday, the Sabbath. They don't, they don't go out and eat or go play golf or anything. They, they rest. Um, they, they also they, they divide the law into three categories: moral, civil, and um, yeah, ceremonial, and judicial. Which, or, yeah, ceremonial, moral, civil, and ceremonial. Yeah. I don't have a problem with someone doing it. It's just you know, just try not try not to use it, you know, to discredit things. I don't have but, a problem with somebody doing that either, as long as they're celebrating or not celebrating, but following all of it. <laughs> I just. I don't know. It's, that that's one thing I don't agree with. Is we don't. Uh, that's a big hang up for me. Is the Sabbath was, you know, it was meant to not be a burden, and they turned it into a burden. And like you can go back and forth on that, but I mean, it's not Sunday. No, seventh day a week is not Jesus Christ. That's a seventh day a week. You know, Jesus Christ is the right. <laughs> God, he's not a he's not a day of the week, you know. Jesus is my Sabbath. Well, wait a minute. I thought Sunday was the Sabbath. What is what, you can't have it both ways? Exactly. You know, it's I, not. Oh man, that's a that's a that's a huge. I think that's the biggest one. I actually, oh, don't know if someone's keeping like a Sabbath on um, Sunday, like I'm not gonna go over there and like hand them and say you're you know, you're doing everything wrong. I'll just tell them I keep on Saturday and explain why, but. Um, someone to keep it on Sunday if that's what they've been convinced of or convicted of. I'm not gonna go and hinder them. And just, you know, if they're they're buying, not buying, someone trading, they're keeping the Sabbath day holy to what they understand. 
you know, I'm going to go over there and be like, you're told, you're dead wrong, you know, because I think a lot keeping... of the eight years and stuff have been messed up. Well, the, uh, that was just, it was profound the day that I heard uh, it was actually uh, Matthew Everhard. Uh, he's a, a Presbyterian, and they're reformed, uh, Westminster confessional and all that stuff. But he's he actually said that, that they were a people of the Sabbath. And I was like, but, but wait a minute. I thought you were gathering on the day of the Lord. And <laughs> so anyway, so it ended up being his, his explanation of that was that on the day of the Lord, they don't do buying and selling they don't go out to eat they come to worship they go home they relax i respect that I um, to take it seriously uh it's the first time i'd ever heard uh, anybody go there with it I, it was it was interesting but i, I think like that because uh, even hans granddad does that too i just think they're confused about what the day of the lord is in the bible mm -hmm. The day of the Lord is the day that he comes back. It's that great yeah. day of the Lord. You know, and it says, pray that your flight be not on Sabbath. You know, when he's telling you to get out of there. Yeah. So, but the great day of the Lord is the day that he comes back. It's in every, it's in all the prophets. In that day. It always says, in that day. Yeah. That's the day of the Lord. And that's what I, when I heard somebody say that the, He's talking about he's talking about Sunday in Revelation. I was like, that's the only time then that 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 is that specific phrase is used as the day of the Lord. Like even all the study Bibles that I have say that the day of the Lord is talking about Sunday. And I was See? like, that's that's reading a whole lot into that that I don't think was in there. Well, here's the it's thing. What you call eisegesis. And right. I see this in the <laughs> Revelation. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Okay, he was in the spirit, and he was being shown a vision of the things that were going to take place. Right. So he's been shown a vision of the Lord's day. But they take that as Sunday, but. Because they're trying to make every excuse to separate themselves from the Catholic Church. Right. A lot of times, they don't want to be associated with the Catholic Church. It's the Catholic Church is the one that came up with that. No. But they're... It's, I think it'll all come out. <laughs> I think the Father will... Yeah, I was going to say, I think you also... Uh, I mean, like, I don't, the reason why I don't see nothing anyone down keeping a Sunday Sabbath is because then in that case... And you got to go to all the Southern Sabbatarians and do the same thing, you know, equal weights and measures on that. Cause I'm not going to go up and say that I have it completely 100% right. I stand firm on what I believe, but I'm open for correction. I don't, I definitely don't think it's Sunday, but um, I'm not going to go around saying that you're doing it wrong. If they're trying their best, I'll just tell them what I think it is. And that's it. I mean, if there, if there was a change in, you know, 2,300 years ago, if there was a change in Saturday being the Sabbath, we would have done seeing that. We would have seen that. Even though it's on the Gregorian calendar, we would have seen something in history that, because God, it's his story. He lets right. you know. 
And Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the day they worship the sun. Moon's day is the second day of the week, Monday, you know. And in every single language, Shabbat, Sabios, uh, Sabbatan, all these, everybody says that Saturday is the Sabbath. So we would have seen something in history that if it wasn't the Sabbath, then something would have changed. Because that wasn't that long ago. Yeah, 2,300 years ago. But I mean, from Moses to Jesus was a long time, too. Right. So, I mean, they were still keeping the same day. But then we had this new religion pop out called Christianity. You know, just like Judaism was a different religion. It was, you know, it wasn't what the prophets were teaching. That's why Paul says, you know, I, in, in the thing that I follow the, the, that they call heresy, you know. So he wasn't even following Judaism. He was at first, but then he, then he changed. I think well, eventually. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said, if, I think eventually everybody will, the true believers will come to saying, oh, wow, this Saturday is the day. I just find it. I'm finding it hard. I got a cousin that she is always. She's big rainbow people. And he said something the other day about about my that I was coming to coming to everything with such a judgmental tone. I said, I'm I'm posting scripture. Um and I explained to her and I had to kind of figure out how to defuse, not defuse, but like stand my ground but not be a jerk. And I think I handled it pretty good, but she she actually apologized for. I said, hey, you know, that's maybe you should take the log out of your own eye. This is a good opportunity for you to seek some things out and understand that I'm I'm just posting scripture. You stand for Christ, and and this is not. You can come, you, you have to approach everything with, you got to start somewhere and I'm choosing to start with scripture and like, I, I can, I can love my neighbor just fine within the bounds of scripture. You're loving them by telling them. Right. That's what love is. You're telling them that they're doing wrong by using the word of God and you're standing for Christ. And that's the problem with the world today. They're choosing the world instead of the words the words that God has already spoken. And you will be hated and persecuted for his namesake. Period. They hated him first. <laughs> yeah. Don't think they won't hate you. So it kind of gives you a definite that you're on the right path. You know, it stinks. But you'll find, you know, there's uh there's joy and sorrow. To know that you've told them the truth. That's, you know, all we can do. Yeah, and it's sometimes it's, it's pretty rough. Right now in the church, there's a, 
you know, we 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 split off from the United Methodist Church, and we're uh, trying to find our path, our next path. And there is some there is some seeking going on. Uh, people people are seeking, and they're and and they're asking me what I think, which is unusual for me. I've never, you know, but in the last year, I've I've learned enough, and I'm. You know that that, I'm, that they actually asked me opinions and what do you think we need to do and this and that and the other and it's unusual it's 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 humbling to be in a position where um, you're thought enough of to so I'm trying to honor that I'm trying to be helpful and That's honest. Right. You're putting in a unique position like Ryan, right? And I, that's why I think, you know, nobody can count uh, God's power done yet because he puts people in places where he needs them. You know, it might be significant. It might be just tending to one person or 10 people, whatever. But he utilizes people and puts them in position because he's the master chess player. <laughs> you know. He can. He's. He knows the true out, art of war and how to accomplish what he can do. So he's got you in a really good position. Well, I hope so. I just. Yeah. I keep wait. I keep waiting on the. Uh, you know, to step on the bear trap, but. Hey, I people keep I'll, keep preaching. <laughs> I guess I can pull my leg out of the bear. I've done it before, so. You know, just keep showing them the word. Well, let's go. Just say, well, let's go to the Bible and see what it says. <laughs> right? Yeah. As simple as that. Well, the problem, that's one of the reasons that we had to get out of there is, is the problem is one of the main things. And, of course, you, I see the Pride Month thing here. That That's one of the main problems is that that they don't care. What, I can what never it's, see that. That's a lukewarm church. They, I they, can never unsee it. If you look at if you put Pride Mouths together, oh yeah, it, it says demon. And there's there's something to that. I mean, you think about Pride and 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 go look at Pride in the Bible. Like it's never in a positive connotation. God says he hates it. It's never. Why why would you why would you dream up something to stand for and then name it that? I'm totally about to post that Pride Month that you just did, Dustin. Because the uh, that's the devil's game. He puts it right out there in black and white, and then and then paints it with something else. But in in the end, the devil's most he's the most prideful being. Check this out. When we when we started this discernment process to to separate, they all this stuff was put in in place so that if something happened, the people that didn't like the the way the church was operating could leave. All right. Well, what they turned it into was if you're a conservative, then you can leave. And, oh. and we were putting in a position where that's, that's basically what we had to do. We had to give them the United Methodist church and, and, and leave. 
and so that's the that's the tactic of the devil. A house divided can't stand. Right. And so they uh in order to the only reason that we could leave, uh that we would be approved to, to leave. Yes, you heard that right, approved to leave, is we had it had to be on the grounds of the uh of the church and their actions towards ordaining homosexuals, practicing homosexuals as, as a, you know, clergy. And so that's the, they, they made us, that's the only way we could leave is if we put it in, in writing that that's why we were leaving. We couldn't address the two or three other complete apostasies that are going on. It had to be that reason. Now you can't tell me that that wasn't designed to make us look like bigots. Yep. You you, you just can't tell me that. That was I'll, divisive. I would tell them to keep my membership. I was like, I'm not a member here anymore. No That's you can keep that. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. But it we had enough of us. I mean, it was unanimous when they were like, you you need to have a vote on paper and all that stuff. So we did, and it was it was unanimous. Like, yeah, we're out. You can have it. We just want our building. So, wow. which is fine. That's all we really wanted anyway. Was the place that we gathered. I mean, so you had to leave on terms that you're a bigot. <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> terms that they they classified you. Yeah, as a because that is very much what that's that's one of the main reasons that me and my cousin are button heads is because she's a member of the Methodist Church also. And she's made a post one day about how the church is splitting because one side loves everyone and one side doesn't. And I said, if you would like to message me and we can talk about the actual reasons and not the ones we were forced to choose then we can do that. But this isn't true. And you know it isn't. Well, what's just tell her, well, who has the ultimate authority? Are we listening to the church? Or are we listening to what God says? Right. Because you can take them right to Old Testament, New Testament, First Timothy eight or first Timothy one, eight through ten, where it says, And men who defile themselves with mankind. Yep. He said the law is for them. The law is for them, for man stealers and murders of mothers and fathers and the ungodly and unholy. And, you know, they're included in that. Right. And it says and anything else contrary to sound doctrine. I mean, Romans so was there, at that point, What's that? They're in the first Corinthians six. But, anyways, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 15 now. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> doing something to the screen. Yeah, we were. We were writing some stuff on there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going foolish. I went out and come all the way back in. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I told all right. you that Pride Month thing. What'd you post? Yeah. I, it, it spells demon in between Pride Month. Yep. I'll never, I'll never be able to unsee, un, unsee that. Pay attention to the, how the atmosphere is going to get full a little bit. 
Say one time, Tammy. Pay attention to what you start seeing rise up here. Yeah. Deuteronomy, chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent to his neighbor. He is not to collect anything from his neighbor or brother, because the Lord's release of debts has been proclaimed. You may collect something from a foreigner, but you must forgive. <laughs> I was trying to read it like one of those narrators. Anyways, well, you must forgive whatever your brother owes you. There will be no poor among you. However, because the Lord is certain to bless you in the land, the Lord your God is giving you who possesses an inheritance. If only you obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow every one of these commands. I am giving you today. When the Lord your God blesses you as he has promised you, you will lend to many nations, but not borrow. Huh. <laughs> you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is a poor person among you, one of your brothers within your, any of your gates, in the land the Lord your God is giving you, you must not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your brother, your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan to him enough for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and you are stingy towards your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you. And you will be guilty. Give it to him or give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. For there will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I am commanding you. You must willingly open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. If your fellow Hebrew, a man or woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command today. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family, and is well off with you, take an awl and pierce through his ear into the door, and he will become your slave for life. Also, treat your female slave the same way. Do not regard it as a hardship when you set him free, because he worked for you six years, worth twice the wages of a hired hand. Then the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. You must consecrate to the Lord your God every firstborn male produced by your herd and flock. You are not to put the firstborn of your oxen to work or shear the firstborn of your flock. Each year you and your family are to eat it before the Lord your God in the place the Lord chooses. But if there is a defect in the animal, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Eat it within your gates. Both the unclean person and the clean may eat it, as though it were a gazelle or deer. But you must not eat its blood, pour it on the ground like water. Pretty straightforward. So we're not supposed to borrow money from other nations. Yeah, I got that. Uh, not, not a. Uh, this is not a godly nation for sure. Because <laughs> we're thirty-one trillion dollars in debt. <laughs> <laughs>
washing rooms. I believe we're in no debt, but I believe all that is laundering money. Yeah. I, I believe that's just the way of us paying taxes and uh, their way of spending it. I agree. Because we got a machine that'll make money. <laughs> Nowadays, they don't even have to do that. You just take somebody to sit behind a computer and go like this. Right. Yeah, <laughs> at, at that point, they're borrowing money against the American people. They yeah. have no over it. So that's still borrowing money and stealing. You're not, you're not supposed to have... You're supposed to... This goes back to the whole... Um, where it says the uh, the shekel according to the to the shekel of the sanctuary, right? You're supposed to have your money. Your wages are supposed to be backed by something. That's the way that's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be some arbitrary piece of paper that has, you know, legal tender used for um, what is it? Borrowing debt or exchanging debt. Here, I'll read it to you. Now it's a ship. Yeah, it says <clears throat> Federal Reserve Please. note. This note is legal tender for yeah. all debts, public and private. Now you're supposed to have gold and silver and different precious metals. You know, which everybody gets caught up on the gold and silver, but there's many other metals that you can use as a currency. Copper, um, brass, all these different metals. Gold and silver are like the main ones, but there are other metals that can be used as well. So yeah, you're supposed to have a actual backing. Hopefully we get back to that and trading of goods and services. I think there's going to be a huge influx of people that are going to be doing all right whenever the uh, whenever everything goes digital. There's going to be some that decide that they want to go that route, but people that have actual wealth, you know, able-bodied individuals that have some animals, maybe some land, some equipment, some crops or a, a crap ton of glass collected like I do. Uh, <laughs> you'll be able to trade these these things, you know, as a barter system. And I think that they're going to be really well off. And a lot of people are going to realize that the money didn't matter. That's not what made them wealthy. I think this is why a lot of people, even in the upper echelon of the population are starting to move their funds to actual tangible assets, you know, properties, land, stuff like that. Well, I look at it though. But yeah, 
definitely not a righteous nation that we live in right now. I think it can get back to that point, but it's going to take some, it's going to take like uh, Nineveh, you know, somebody speaking to the leader and the leader decides, oh, you're right. And then puts out a decree. Everybody, you know, repent. Let's do some fasting and call upon the name of the most high God. What a day that would be. He said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, would turn from their wicked ways and cry out, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's finish 16 real quick. We're going to go to verse 17. <clears throat> These are the three appointed feasts. It says, I observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God because the Lord your God brought you out of, out of Egypt by might or by a night in the month of Abib. Sacrifice to Yahweh your God a Passover animal from the herd or flock in the place where the Lord chooses to have his name dwell. You must not eat leavened bread with it for seven days. You are to eat unleavened bread with it because, or the bread of hardship because you left the land of Egypt in a hurry. So that you may remember for the rest of your life the day you left the land of Egypt. No yeast is to be found anywhere, or no leaven is to be found anywhere in your territory for seven days. And none of the meat you sacrifice in the evening of the first day is to remain until morning. You are not to sacrifice the Passover animal in any of the towns the Lord your God is giving you. You must only sacrifice the Passover animal at the place where Yahweh your God chooses to have his name dwell. Do this in the evening as the sun sets at the same time of day you departed from Egypt. You are to cook it and eat it in the place the Lord your God chooses, and you are to return to your tents in the morning. You must eat unleavened bread for six days. On the seventh day, there is to be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God, and you must not do any work. We just got done doing that one. What, some 50 days ago? You were to count seven weeks, counting the time from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. You are to celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God with a free will offering that you give in proportion to how the Lord your God has blessed you. Rejoice before Yahweh your God in the place where he chooses to have his name dwell. You, your son and daughter, your male and female slave, the Levite within your gates, as well as the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Carefully follow these statutes. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what Shavuot. You are to celebrate the festival of booths for seven days when you have gathered in everything from your threshing floor and wine press. Rejoice during your festival, you, your son and daughter, your male and female slave, as well as the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow within your gates. You are to hold a seven-day festival for the Lord your God in the place he chooses. 
because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, and you will have abundant joy. All your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of booths. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. Those are the three appointed times. That's interesting. The only one out of these three that doesn't say the foreigner among you is uh, Passover. I mean, we can resort back to Exodus where it says if they want to, they must be circumcised. But I just thought that was interesting. What we got next? We'll go back to Leviticus 23 and read it from there. Leviticus 23, 15 to 22. Yeah. It says, you are to count seven complete Sabbaths, starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the presentation offering. You are to count 50 days until the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements as a presentation offering or wave offering, each of them made from four quarts of fine flour baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. You are to present with the bread seven unblemished male lambs, a year old, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and drink offerings, a fire offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You are also to prepare one male lamb as a sin offering and two male lambs, or one male goat as a sin offering, my bad, and two male lambs a year old as a fellowship sacrifice. The priest will wave the lambs with the bread of first fruits as a presentation offering before the Lord. The bread and the two lambs will be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to make a proclamation and hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. This is to be a permanent statute wherever you live throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your mighty one. I like how no matter what, when he's talking about the feasts, every time he speaks to them, he always mentions the little guy, the poor, the needy, the widow. They don't forget about them. Make sure that they're able to rejoice during this time as well. He always looks out for the poor. Don't he? Every time. Man. Mm-hmm. Now we have all of Ezekiel 1. says this in the 30th year and the fourth month on the fifth day of the month 
while I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile. The word of the Lord came directly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, or Buzi, 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 in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal. And the Lord's hand was on him there. I looked, and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth and brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like amber. The form of four living creatures came from it, and this was their appearance. They had human form, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hooves of a calf, sparkling like the gleam of polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings on the four sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Each one went straight ahead. The form of each of their faces was that of a man. And each of the four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of an ox on the left, the face of an eagle. That is what their faces were like. Their wings were spread upward. Each had two wings touching that of another and two wings covering its body. Each creature went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went without turning as they moved. The form of the living creatures was like the appearance of burning coals of fire and torches. Fire was moving back and forth between the living creatures. It was bright, with lightning coming out of it. The creatures were darting back and forth like flashes of lightning. When I looked at the living creatures, there was one wheel on the ground beside each creature that had four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their craftsmanship was like the gleam of beryl. All four, or and all four, had the same form. Their appearance and craftsmanship was like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they went in any of the four directions, without pointing as they moved. Their rims were large and frightening. Each of their four rims were full of eyes all around. So when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them are moved beside them. And when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels also rose. Wherever the, wherever the spirit wanted to go, the creatures went in the direction the spirit was moving. The wheels rose alongside them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, the wheels moved. When the creatures stood still, the wheels stood still. And when the creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose alongside them where the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The shape of an expanse with a gleam like awe-inspiring crystal was spread out over the heads of the living creatures. And under the expanse, their wings extended one toward another. Each of them also had two wings covering their bodies. When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of mighty waters, like the voice of the Almighty, and a sound of commotion like the noise of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. A voice came from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. The shape of a throne with the appearance of sapphire stone was above the expanse. There was a form within the appearance of a human on the throne high above. From what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like amber with what looked like fire enclosing it all around. From what seemed to be his waist down, I also saw what looked like fire. There was a brilliant light all around him. The appearance of the brilliant light all around was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the form of the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I fell face down and heard a voice speaking.
we'll have to do a study on the on the wheels because there's a lot of different stuff out there on that. Yeah, wheels and wheel. Yeah. I've I've heard some interesting stuff for sure. It'd definitely be wild to see. <laughs> uh huh. That's what I was thinking, Dustin. How can our little three pound mind, three and a half pound mind, even comprehend what's up there? I think we're all going to see some pretty wild stuff. <laughs> I think my personal opinion is like, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, you know, you can't take the Bible literally because it says this, this, and this. And that's obviously not literal. I think every one of those people are going to be like, yeah, no, it was literal. <laughs> it's like when Leviathan comes out and the angel slays it. Yeah. And we Down eat it. That's one of the ones I don't understand why people don't take literal. Because it says we're going to feast on it. Literally, it says it's going to feed the people. Yeah. Hey, look, he can do that. He can do this. That's so. hard. What's that? It's hard, but he can do that. Um. This is one verse, so I'll read it real quick. The Spirit then lifted... This is Ezekiel 3.12. The Spirit then lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Praise the glory of the Lord in his place. And then he talks about the living creatures again. Also talks about Tel Aviv in here. But that's a different subject. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that like the prophets see and go through and stuff that is wild <laughs> like we're and, and they don't ever question it at all ever not once it's like, yep, this is happening. Some of it I can explain. Like with what we're about to read with Balaam. And his donkey talking to him. He never questions it. But Jubilees tells you straight up that animals spoke at one point. What? They're talking donkeys? <laughs> and in the morning, I'm going to make waffles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, can, can I oh, stay with you? Hey, <laughs> I wonder what kind of uh you said that we were gonna feast on Leviathan. I wonder what kind of animal it is, because that's that's a little weird. Okay, oh, sure. Yeah. It's got, it's got fins and scales. It's got fins and scales, yeah. It's a it's a sea creature. 
and it's got pins and scales. I'm just saying, like, there's some pretty out there imagery of some sea monsters and some ancient depictions. And I wonder if it's Leviathan. Well, I'm I'm here to tell you that uh, <laughs> I never really thought about it, but I like Vopies and some of the most massive fish um, are <laughs> they're all considered trash fish, you know, gar, carp, uh, drum, all this stuff that people consider trash fish, and I've eaten all of them, and I actually thought I was eating. I considered them dirty because they were like trash fish, but they're actually biblically clean because they've got fins and scales. That's like when we was fishing the other day. We kept seeing some big old fish jumping around in the reservoir there. Once I started seeing that, because I was bass fishing, you know, I'd throw my jig out there and Sit there and reel up. But I had three poles with me. And my buddy had caught a sunfish. And I cut it up. And uh, I threw some on my, my wife's hook and had her just sitting it out there. See what she'd get. I figured she might catch a catfish. Obviously, we wasn't going to eat it. We just seeing what we'd catch. And uh, I started seeing them fish jump. I was like, I think that's a carp. So I took my pole, put a piece of that sunfish on there, threw it way out there and just let it sit. And I was still throwing my jig out there. I was hoping to catch some carp. I caught that one bass by accident. <laughs> I right. hooked him in the side. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, I, I mean, if I were to cross some carp, I'd have ate it. Yeah, it ain't bad. Especially in the wintertime, you get some in, in nets. Uh, I'll run barrel nets in the wintertime if I can. And I'm always, it's ironic because I was always after catfish, always. And it was always, always catching buffalo. Uh, and of course, they're, they're hard to clean and all that. They're good, but that's not what I was after when I was after catfish. And uh, I would always catch those fish. Like one time, I had a good run with catfish, like ten years ago, at this particular spot. But I would always catch the, the clean fish, and I didn't even know they were clean at the time. You know. Well, I'm like you. At one point, I was always taught that. First of all, I was taught that like carp, especially the Asian carp, was a nuisance. And I was taught that it's just, yeah, it's nasty. You don't want that fish. Yet we're over here trying to catch catfish. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. They eat the same stuff. Yeah. And lo and behold, years later, I'm trying to catch carp. <laughs> Well, a barrel net and a gill net are a real good way to do it. I buy my commercial tag every year so I can legally go run heads because I can do that. You know, I can go put a head out and then I can go to work. Uh, but it works. 
have to look into that. I don't know what the rules in Kentucky are, but I know Arkansas $25 for the license and then a two and a half inch web barrel net for four bucks and what they call a fiddler net that's inch and a half webbing. It's uh it's twelve bucks for a tag. And there's an abundance of of fish around here for sure. Here I am interrupting again. Did you have something else to read? We got a few more things, but no, you're good. I think fish is applicable. <laughs> I'm still going to... Well, I can't remember that guy's name. It was on that live. One of these days, me and him is going to be fishing on the side of the Dead Sea. <laughs> yep. Ezekiel 47 yep no I know where it's at I was, there was a guy on that live me and Michael did a while back he's a full predatorist yeah. and I was telling him that I read that to him and was like you know one of these days all right. he said something he said something about, like you want to make a bet like who's right or something like that and I said that's all right. Just, just keep practicing your fishing skills because we're going to be fishing on the side of the Dead Sea. <laughs> he didn't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, was, I showed it to him. I was like, you know, it's, this hasn't happened yet. I was like, there's no living fish in the Dead Sea. You know, I, I know all these scientists try to come out now and they're like, yeah, there's some these small, these small, tiny microorganisms that are living in the Dead Sea, and it's like, yeah, that doesn't say fish, though, bro. <laughs> right. No matter how hard you try, you cannot negate what the Bible says, because it says right there off the, in, in Engedi and in Eglaim, right there on the coast of the Dead Sea, all the waters on the side of it will fill up with the salt. They will be salty. But the Dead Sea will contain fish, and fishermen will stand on the side and cast their nets and catch fish. And that cannot happen today. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in it. It's too salty. But there you go. And I guess to some extent, you know, there are things that have taken place, but they, they you know, so everyone's, if you believe scripture at all, you're somewhat of a predator. Because, yeah, that's cool, you know. That's why I always make the distinction because people be like, I'm not a preterist, and this guy was a pre and I'm like, No, full preterist. If you think that there is a prophecy at all that has taken place, you are a preterist. But a full preterist thinks that every prophecy that's ever been laid out in these scriptures has already been fulfilled. I am not a full they believe Jesus already uh, came back. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. that's a full preterist. They think that. But you they know, can't they try to spiritualize the temple aspect. They can't explain um, the thousand years of peace where Satan's locked up because it's never happened in him. Or they can't tell me where the temple is. So they're like, well, we are the temple, brother. And I'm like, no, there's literally going to be a temple that comes down, bro. Right. 
how how depressing is it to think that like that there's that it's all happened already and like this is it. I got no clue. That's why I've made the point before, like if if this is the millennium rain or or even after, I am highly disappointed. I expected so much more. <laughs> well, it just seems like in there isn't it supposed to be peaceful and and He's supposed to be ruling the nation with an iron rod. Well, if he's ruling yeah. the nation with an iron rod, he's failing because there's still abortion going on. Yeah. So, not happening. That's crazy. It says yeah. that, the Bible says that he does not start ruling the nations until he comes back. The nation's dead. The devil's ruling the nations right now. That's why everything's so corrupt. If we think that Yeshua is ruining nations, then we got a problem. You know, I always wondered whether, uh, uh, not always, but just recently, I wondered whether the, you know, the Antichrist, the face that's supposed to talk to the people, you know what I'm talking about? Uh -huh. I wondered whether that's, that, like, that's the internet itself. I think it's gonna be actual human. I think it's gonna be actual person. The cause of the son of perdition. But isn't there like an image that's supposed to be animated by the by the Antichrist? I can't remember how. how, how well, I think AI has a lot to do with it. Yeah, you know, that's true. I didn't think about that. I mean, AI. Um, my uh, my standings right now is I think that Nimrod will come back, and uh, because they were able, they were. Uh, what was his name? Ah, uh, who is the who's the wolf? The wolf god in Egypt. Come out like Odin. No, he's called something else. Anyways, he he was good at resurrecting people, uh, not resurrecting, raising people back from the like with necromancy and stuff. Because there's a commandment against it, right? So, and that's a whole that's a big topic right there. Plus, it's all about uh, commerce. You know, the mark of the beast. And the image of the beast. And It's pretty spooky, but at the same time, it's, it's kind of intriguing. Like it's, humans have definitely had a... Uh, a draw to eschatology as far as some of the main things that they are focused on in the Christian worldview or, or the end time. Yep. 
Sean Griffin does a good job on that investigating Babylon series. He does a pretty good job on that. I'll tell you how in the clouds we were when I was in high school. I, I didn't even know what the rapture was. At the Methodist Church, we didn't talk about that sort of thing. We didn't talk about end times. and so Definitely definitely all love and sunshine. Uh, but anyway, when I my girlfriend I was dating at the time, it was, it was uh, Y2K, my senior year. And she was like, yeah, the Jesus is supposed to come back. Like, come back. What do you mean? <laughs> the rapture. What's the rapture? And like, so we drove around. And, uh, I was like, are you serious? He, and she told me all this stuff. And I was like, what the heck? Why well, wasn't I ever told about this? But yeah, I was, I was 18 years old before I knew what the rapture was. Yeah, Sean goes through that and he talks about Anubis and, and, and Nurgle which are ancient, like, they're ancient gods from the past who, you know, and like Mercury's, like Hermes. Um, these are all like ancient god of the underworld, but they also did, they also were the gods of commerce. Mm. And it's, nothing has changed. There's nothing has changed. We have Hermes right now on the top side. He, he's overlooking the bowl of Wall Street. And he's also sitting on top of the Capitol building. Nothing's new under the sun. He makes a good case about uh, putting all that stuff in order. I'm at the jail. All right, Seth. We'll be praying for you, brother. Change some hearts, man. Have a blessed meeting, brother. Yes, sir. Love you, brother. Y'all ready to read Habakkuk or Habakkuk? However, you want to say it. Heck of a cook? Yeah, that <laughs> one. <laughs> Chapter 3, it says, <clears throat> Habakkuk's third prayer, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigayanos. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. God comes from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him, and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Kushan in distress. The tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at the rivers, Lord? Is your wrath against the trees? 
or the rivers? Or is your rage against the sea when you ride on your horses, your victorious chariot? You took the sheath from your bow. Your arrows are ready to be used with an oath. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains you see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows. At the brightness of your shining spear, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him foot from foot to neck. Selah. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if, it, as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the great waters. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come ag against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in Yahuwah. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahuwah, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on, on mountains high. For the choir director on string instrument. I don't know if I'll still read that part, but there you go. <laughs> I did find this out, and I, I guess I should have known this, but anytime you see like the Selah, that just means pause. I found that out the other day. Dustin, you should have learned that in vacation Bible school. Listen, I think I went to like one vacation Bible school thing. What, teaching? Well, they weren't really worried about teaching us. It was just, you know. I was about to say on the from vacation Bible schools how to play dodgeball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, no. Yeah, we played dodgeball. We went to a skating rink. Um, we went to a different church and had a different pastor. Um, can you all hear me? Yeah, we went to we played air hockey, basketball, dodgeball. Yeah. My headset disconnected. Um, yeah, we went played some dodgeball, like some basketball at the gymnasium at the other church. But we went to a skating rink as well. And then I remember sitting in the pews of that church. I don't remember how old I was. I couldn't have been too old. I was probably still in. Early middle school, maybe something like that. And uh, I remember the pastor was talking about uh, being hot and cold and lukewarm. I'll never forget that because years later, that's that's kind of kind of what kind of convicted me a little bit. As I thought back to it, and was like, you can be cold, you can be hot, I'll be lukewarm. And it's not that you should be cold, <laughs> but. I understand now. It's not that you can be cold or you should want to be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Don't sit with one foot 
one foot in there. You got to be all in for it. Be all in for it. Make it your your ambition, your daily goal to to be completely subservient to the Lord. Not half-heartedly, full-heartedly, with your whole heart. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. That's the only thing I remembered. They didn't teach me what Selah meant. I don't even think we read Old Testament. Then. <laughs> well, Just said they didn't teach me what Selah <laughs> <laughs> That's one of them things that, you know, like they talk about, like, you believe in Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus. I ask Jesus into your heart. You could be saved today. And I asked my grandma, Mama, I've done asked Jesus into my heart several times. Why ain't nothing changed? All you got to do is ask once. Well, now I'm concerned because ain't nothing changed. Something is terribly wrong here. We've got two more things to read. We're going to read Jubilees 6. It says, <clears throat> On the new moon of the third month, he went out from the ark and built an altar on the mountain, and he made atonement for the earth and took a kid and made atonement by its blood for all the guilt of the earth. For everything had, that had been on it had been destroyed, save those that were in the ark with Noah. And he placed the fat thereof on the altar, and he took an ox and a goat and a sheep and kids and salt and a turtle dove and the young of a dove and placed a burnt sacrifice on the altar and poured thereon an offering mingled with oil and sprinkled wine and strewed frankincense over everything and caused a goodly savor to arise acceptable before the Lord. And the Lord smelt the goodly savor, and he made a covenant with him that there should not be any more a flood to destroy the earth, that all the days of the earth, seed time and harvest, should never cease, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night should not change their order, nor cease forever. And you, increase you, and multiply upon the earth, and become many upon it, and be a blessing upon it. The fear of you and the dread of you I shall inspire in everything that is on the earth and in the sea. And behold, I have given unto you all beasts and all winged things and everything that moves on the earth and the fish in the waters and all things for food. As the green herbs, I have given you all things to eat, but flesh with the life thereof, with the blood, you shall not eat. For the life of all flesh is in the blood, lest your blood of your lives be required at the hand of every man, at the hand of every beast, shall I require the blood of man. Whoso sheds man blood, man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you increase ye and multiply on the earth. And Noah and his sons swore that they would not eat any blood that was on 
or that was in any flesh. And he made a covenant before the Lord God forever through all the throughout all the generations of the earth in this month. On this account, he spoke to you that you should make a covenant with the children of Israel in this month upon the mountain within or with an oath, and that you should sprinkle blood upon them because of all the words of the covenant which the Lord made with them forever. And this testimony is written concerning you that you should not eat on any day any blood of beasts or birds or cattle during all the days of the earth. And the man who eats the blood of beasts or of cattle or of cattle or of birds during all the days of the earth, he and his seed shall be rooted out of the land. And do you command the children of Israel to eat no blood so that their names and their seed may be before the Lord our God continually? And for this law, there is no limit of days, for it is forever. They shall observe it throughout their generations so that they may continue supplicating on your behalf with blood before the altar every day and at the time of morning and evening. They shall seek forgiveness on your behalf perpetually before the Lord that they may keep it and not be rooted out. And he gave to Noah and his sons a sign that there should not be that there should not again be a flood on the earth. He set his bow, his rainbow in the cloud for a sign of the eternal covenant that there should not be a flood on the earth to destroy it all the days of the earth. For this reason, it is ordained and written on the heavenly tables that they should celebrate the feast of weeks in the month once or in this month once a year to renew the covenant every year. And this whole festival was celebrated in heaven from the day of creation until the day of Noah's 26 jubilees and five weeks of years. And Noah and his sons observed it for seven jubilees and one week of years until the day of Noah's death. And from the day of Noah's death, his sons did away with it until the days of Abraham, and they ate blood. But Abraham observed it, and Isaac and Jacob and his children observed it up until your days. And in your days, the children of Israel forgot it until you celebrated it anew on this mountain. And do you command the children of Israel to observe this festival and all their generations for a commandment unto them? One day in the year, in this month, they shall celebrate the festival. For it is the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of first fruits. This feast is twofold and of a double nature. According to what is written and engraved concerning it, celebrate it. For I have written in the book of the first law, in that which I have written for you, that you should celebrate it in its season, one day in the year, and I explained to you its sacrifices that the children of Israel should remember and should celebrate it throughout their generations in this month, one day in every year. And on the new moon of the first month, and on the new moon of the fourth month, and on the new moon of the seventh month, and on the new moon of the tenth month are the days of remembrance, and the days of the seasons, and the four divisions of the year. These are written and ordained as a testimony forever. And Noah ordained them for himself as feasts for the generations forever, so that they have become thereby a memorial unto him. And on the new moon of the first month, he was bidden to make for himself an ark. And on that day, the earth became dry, and he opened the ark and saw the earth. And on the new moon of the fourth month, the mouths of the depths of the abysses beneath were closed. And on the new moon of the seventh month, all the mouths of the abysses of the earth were opened. And the waters began to descend into them. And on the new moon of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains were seen, and Noah was glad. And on this account, he ordains them for himself as feasts for a memorial forever, and thus they are ordained. 
and they placed them on the heavenly tables. Each had 13 weeks from one, one to another past their memorial from the first to the second and from the third or the second to the third and from the third to the fourth. All the days of the commandment will be two and 50 weeks of days, and these will make the entire year complete. Thus it is engraved and ordained on the heavenly tables, and there is no neglecting this commandment for a single year or from year to year, and command you, the children of Israel, that they observe the years according to the reckoning, 364 days, and these will constitute a complete year, and they will not disturb its time from its days and from its feasts, for everything will fall out in them according to their testimony, and they will not leave out any day nor disturb any feasts. But if they do not neglect, or if they do neglect and do not observe them according to his commandment, then they will disturb all their seasons, and the years will be dislodged from this order. And they and yet, or and they will disturb the seasons, and the years will be dislodged, and they will neglect their ordinances, and all the children of Israel will forget, and will not find the path of the years, and will forget the new moons and the seasons and Sabbaths. And they will go wrong as to all the order of the years. For I know, and from now on shall I declare it unto you, and it is not of my own devising. For the book lies written before me, and on the heavenly tables the divisions of days is ordained, lest they forget the feasts of the covenant and walk according to the feasts of the Gentiles after their error and after their ignorance. For there will be those who will assuredly make observations of the moon, now it disturbs the seasons and comes in from year to year ten days too soon. For this reason, the years will come upon them they will, or when they will disturb the order and make an abominable day the day of testimony and an unclean day a feast day. And they will confound all the days, the holy with the unclean and the unclean with the holy. For they will go wrong as to the months and Sabbaths and feasts and jubilees. For this reason, I command and testify to you that you may testify to them, for after your death your children will disturb them, so that they will not make the year 364 days only, and for this reason they will go wrong as to the new moons and seasons and Sabbaths and festivals, and they will eat all kinds of blood with all kinds of flesh. Dustin, you know where you read up there a little bit where it says that Noah's son forgot to keep these days yeah I always think then how it might be just because of my ignorance it might be because I, I don't know and I'm not read what goes with it but how is Han Shem, Sham whatever how you say his name Melchizedek if he forgot the feast days That's a Jimmy question. I don't say I'm not sure who Melchizedek was. I know Jimmy believes that he was Shem, and I I can see that aspect, but I'm not. Does it say Does it say in the days of Noah? Or does it say Noah? Um. It says. And from the day of Noah's death, his sons did away with it until the days of Abraham and they ate blood. 
saying that, going back to a Hebraic mindset, though, his sons doesn't necessarily mean his yeah. direct sons. It could be offspring 10 generations after him. But and in this aspect, right. it gives you from the day of Noah to the day of Abraham. So it could have been. Because, because I mean, every, in, the Chaldean. I mean, in Noah. that bloodline was uh, Nimrod. Nimrod was in that bloodline of Noah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That is correct. So I, don't, I don't think it was Shem. I think, I think that the fathers always, you know, kept his feasts and ordinance through people. But there are those that err and like Nimrod. You know, yeah. Who was it? Eber. There's a there's a bunch of them. But then Job comes along, and he's the son of Esau. You know, he's under Abraham and everything. But it says from from Noah to Abraham that they would err, and Nimrod would be definitely one of those people that erred. We could not argue. Could not argue to 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 say that. Well, if you say it was from the generations all, bet all between there and it says his sons, why are you throwing out his sons and putting everybody else there? Because they're well, still his sons. Right. It's well, still kind of, well, it's kind of like today. Are, is Christianity erring? Are they, are they an heir? You know what I'm saying? But they're still in that line. But they're they're airing, but we're keeping the feasts. You know, is Judaism airing and how they keep those feasts? Or even when? We're we're still up to debate that nobody knows. I me personally, I think the Zadok calendar is pretty pretty accurate. I think that comes from the father, but you know, they're still airing in how they do the feasts and stuff. But you still do them at all. Yeah, just remember, God said He always has a remnant. He always has a remnant of people. He'll never let His ways go, just disappear. Look through the dark ages. He'll never let His ways disappear. So it could be that from the sons of Noah, not directly meaning His sons, because now I'm not. I'm not putting out this. I'm not, I'm not going to put this out there as fact. But I, I think there's evidence that. And I have to go back and research it because I did this. I did this research probably four or five years ago, but I really think Emma's Melchizedek back then. And it, he, you know, because that he was Noah's righteous son. If he was Noah's righteous son, then his other two sons erred, Ham and Japheth. And then the son of Ham, Canaan. He really erred. He was cursed. But I think there's always a there's always a always a remnant there. Um, just yeah. like Elijah said, I'm alone. I'm alone, Father. And he's like, Don't worry about it. I've reserved, you know, seventy five hundred men. Yeah. If not other need of Baal. He always had this remnant. 
I will find a concrete, solid answer for that, though, Miss Tammy. To me, that's what I'm just putting out there right now. I haven't, I haven't read Jubilees in a while. But, I know, believe that. I believe that that you know Noah's son was one. I believe that the, the covenants was I'm putting the art. I believe all of that. But brother, when I read that going through the feast days, it's always stuck in the back of my head, and that's right. one. Of the, that's one of the things that the Jewish people are fight you over, and I'm like, why? Why are you want to fight me over about who this person was? Right. Who do they? Who do the Jews say he is? Seth, ain't it Seth, the the righteous uh, son of Noah? They say that he is Shem. Yeah, Shem. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it probably is Shem because I it's it's like the it's like the um it's like when Isaac had um Jacob and Esau you know Sarah was like you know you're gonna make sure <laughs> you know I'm sorry when uh, Rachel had uh, Isaac and and um or Jacob and Esau she made sure that Jacob got the blessing. And there's a, the blessing would have gone to Shem and, it, and the blessing went from, you know, Enoch down to Noah and it all come from Adam. There was a, there was this type of blessing there, even though Adam transgressed in the garden, he, you know, when his sons brought the first fruits offering, they were the only ones there. You know, I think Adam was the high priest at that point because he was in charge of his family spiritually. And there was hardly anybody there. I and I think that was handed. Up. Yep. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just agreeing with you. I believe Adam was yeah. the high priest. Yep. And and it's not taken away from, from Jesus or anything. And that's where people get, get it all wrong. Like Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He never did anything wrong, <laughs> you know. He was the, the sinless high priest. He was the sinless man. And nobody can take that from him. He died innocent. He was an innocent sacrifice, you know. And But I just believe that all through down history, there's these, this is line of people that, and it includes Gentiles in there too. Look at Job. Job is under the lineage of Esau. Esau, the God said he hated Esau, but I don't think he hated him like, like the Bible says it hates him. I don't think that's what that means. But he came from Esau, and he was a king and high priest. So he was a he was a type of Mashiach. Is anybody ever told you, brother, that the Jews took the writings of um, Moses' other son out of the Torah? Mm-mm. You ain't never heard that? No. Now, now it just started me a brainstorm this week now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a rabbit trail. I have never heard that. Yeah, I had never heard that to the other week. And they was so, questioning, you know, why did y'all take it was a Muslim? You know, asking a Jewish, why did, then why did y'all take the books? books on um, Moses or the son he calls the name out out of the Bible. Huh. I'm going to have to look that one up. 
That's interesting. Because I, I, I believe that the Quran was made in the 6th century under Roman Catholicism's rule. Well, they do a lot know, the Muslims believe that they are off of Ishmael's line. Yeah. But who tells it, them that? I reckon their history. Okay, now check, check this out. Okay, we already know that Ishmael, um, according to the Book of Jubilees, Ishmael came back to Abraham at his death and paid homage to him. And he, well, had, he the, had tribes. And the Jewish sages, he come back at the feast. Yes. All of Abraham's house was considered righteous. All of Abraham's house and celebrated with his father. Yes, he taught he taught Ishmael righteousness. Okay, so if he taught Ishmael righteousness, you know we're always told that uh, the church will say that, oh yeah, the Muslims are Ishmael, you know, and they they go to Galatians for that that Hagar was the son or is the the woman of bondage. And Sarah is the, the free woman. But it's actually just, you know, having a dichotomy there between the Jerusalem above and the Jerusalem here. Uh-huh. And it has nothing to do with the lineage, actual lineage. He, he's, he even says this is allegory. So. Yeah. The, that's why well, I'm I say, using a metaphor. Yes. <laughs> if, if Islam was true, if it was true, then they would be walking in righteousness and they would be keeping those feast days too, but they don't. So they're not the sons of Ishmael. They're not the sons of Ishmael. I, I honestly believe that the, the Quran and the Islam faith was created by the Catholics because it's in, in the Catholic uh, uh, catechism saying, um, hold on, let me grab it and I'll read it for you. But it's in the, they also had the star of Islam in their churches. The Catholics do. The women wear a burqa, just like nuns, kind of. But they get a little more stricter where you have to cover your face. Well, let me grab this book real quick. Bought this book for 11 bucks. I want to know what Catholicism thought plus there's no evidence of the Quran being written before the sixth century now listen Cantal to this Catholicism. what that word that you said that's catholic right yes okay yep it was the un uh, catholicism is the universal church i i believe it to be that paul said upon my upon my death ravenous wolves will come in and not spare the flock remember it says they were of us but they're not with us and they went away from us. And you had these, these teachers, but listen to this. This is the, uh, it says the church's relationship with the Muslims. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the creator. And in first place amongst whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. Who's the judge on the last day? Jesus. All rule and authorities be given to him. Muslims don't believe that. 
But this is the Catholic, this is the catechism of the Catholic Church. All the rules are in here. Everything they believe is written in here. And that is number 841. And it's on page 242. Most people don't even, most Catholics don't even know this. They don't even know. I had to tell my friend Bird, hey man, check this out. It's like, you believe Muslims? He's like, no, I don't believe that. Well, it says you do. Because there's so many creeds and so many rules in this book. You know, you couldn't possibly know them all. There is over, let's see how many pages there are. There is 825 pages of rules of what they believe. Yeah. Send that, send that in the chat. Um, then turn to page 1861 and we'll read Acts 2. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. You Go mean ahead. the Catholics has got that many rules and they're complaining about the 10 rules that we try to teach? Yeah, exactly. And they, they actually took one rule out of the Ten Commandments. The second one, do not have worship graven images. They had yep. to take that one out. They kissed the feet of a statue all the time. No different than the Muslims kissing the, the stones. It's not the creating of the images that the, the that becomes an issue. A lot of people is like, wow, you know, they they got statues of this, that, and the other. That's not. There's nothing against that. It's when you are worshiping them, bowing down to them in a worship setting. That's what the issue is. Because if there's an issue with just creating the images of things that are in the heavens above or the earth or the waters below. And God broke his own commandments because he commanded David or Solomon to put um, the cherub on the top of the uh, curtains and temples and this and that. You know what I mean? All these images that were being commanded to be made. The bronze serpent. like No. It's the worshiping setting. That's why even the come Hezekiah's day, he took down the bronze serpent. Why? Because they were bowing down to it, lighting incense to it. They were worshiping it. He said, no, no, no. Hezekiah was right. Anyways, we're going to finish off with Acts 2. And I've got an interesting parallel in Acts 2 to point out too, and then we're done. <clears throat> When the day of Pentecost or Shavuot had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, 
what could this be? But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus, the Nazarene, was a man pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave me in Hades or Sheol or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill, my, or fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing this in advance, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not left in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witness of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what, was, what must we do? Repent. Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. The interesting parallel I'd show Mike of this. Not that he may not have already seen it before, but how many people were uh, added to them that day? 3,000. 3,000 were taken on another day. Yeah, 3,000 men were put to death by the sword of the Levites back in Exodus 32. I thought that was interesting. What's really cool, too, is, you know, David saw corruption. Yeshua did. Corruption means you're in that grave. You have not come out of that grave. David has not come out of the grave. David's still waiting for the resurrection, just as we do. Yeah. The only one that's never saw corruption. Even Lazarus went back in the grave and saw corruption. He was raised, but he wasn't resurrected. Yeah. Big difference. That's the end of the shop. What